for those of us tuning in um, from within the United States, I have a question for you. At, at what point did your family immigrate here? And maybe it was your grandparents or your great-grandparents or even further back. Shoot, maybe it was even your parents um, in your lifetime and you experienced that. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you are, are that future parent or that current parent who immigrated to the United States in search for uh, perhaps opportunities that you didn't feel were as readily available where you came from or safety or security. Now, as is the case with many fellow European lineages, such as myself, you know, my family history, it's, it's a mixed bag filled with half stories and, you know, unfinished tales. And so my, I never knew my father's parents and, and really neither did he for that matter. And, uh, so every single piece of information that we find out is actually filtered through some sort of third party perspective. And I question, you know, what, what impact does that actually have? And it's impossible to know for sure, but it makes me wonder. And on my mom's side, it's, it's a little less complex, but we still don't have a lot of detail when it comes to the daily lives and aspirations and struggles and goals. And even like the, their philosophies and principles it's an elusive elusive picture at best and and truly at the end of the day i'm i'm just as clueless as you are <laughs> but uh it's interesting because all it takes is a few generations for a complete and total disassociation and disconnection from our own family now and this this takes me straight into the conversation for today because i was i was blessed with the opportunity to bring on sherwan Mayer into real resilience here with me to discuss his very own personal story of immigrating from Romania to the United States. Now, during the conversation, we dive deep into the concept of the American dream and what that is and what does it look like? What are the different perspectives? And Sherman shares his personal journey of buying into what he believed the American dream to be and then not feeling fulfilled and, and bursting out of this mold to become an incredibly magnetic, motivational speaker being sought after by conferences across the United States and I would presume across the world as well. Now, when he told me his story of traveling from Romania to the United States with just $200 in his pocket, I couldn't help but think of my own family story and how much that resonated with me. And many of us who have heard this same type of story from our grandparents that's, that's the beautiful part is that no matter what you hear and hear us talk about the american dream that this energy is still alive that this people are willing to risk everything on this hope that things can be better and that they'll have more opportunities and so on that note i want to tell you that i do hope that you enjoy this conversation with sherban and myself thank you guys so much Today, we have a very cool special guest. Um, we have been on on this show on Real Resilience here with me, Matthew Lestalli. We have been going in, diving in deep with different guests because I didn't want to just share my expertise and my experience. I've been doing that for like a year. And so I wanted to start bringing people in to help expand my own thinking and in hopes that we can expand the thinking of all of you who are here with mm -hmm. us hanging out. So today, 
I can't tell you guys how freaking excited I am. Like this guy's story is out of control. It's one of those stories that you hear and I'm not going to butcher it. I'm going to have him tell us in just two seconds. But one of the, uh, the feeling that I got when he was first telling me his background and, and a little bit of his story was that of like your grandparents or your great grandparents, like those people who had nothing and threw everything to to the wind and to chance and just like gave themselves up fully to making a huge change in their lives. And the cool thing is not only has he done this once, it kind of seems like he's done it at least twice now. And so having that type of mentality, what it takes, and then how he's inputting value into people's lives and, and making his life not about his American dream, but about your American dream and how you can see that come to reality. And it doesn't have to be American either. It can be, and that's one of the beautiful things that we're going to learn about in this story is this can be, it's just your dream, that future state that you have always dreamed about that you've always wanted to get to. That's what we're going to talk about. How get, how Sherban got there today and, and how, what he talks about and what he teaches and his philosophies can help you to get to the next level too. So without further ado, Sherban, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks. That's an awesome introduction. You really set up the stage. Hi, <laughs> what is it? Everybody's wondering. That's awesome. Thanks for having me. That's that's a good call out on the uh, on the strategy there. Yep. Yep. I just, you know, you want to get people excited. I want to get them to know, like, feel that there's something powerful coming, but what is it? So before we get into what it is, because we will mm -hmm. get there, <laughs> tell us, give us a little bit of, of your background and like, what, what, what's kind of like your current situation? Um, if we looked at kind of like your pedigree and stuff like that right now, right now. Okay. At the moment, we're not talking about the past yet, right? Okay, okay. I, you know, I work, I still have a nine to five job. Let's just, just preface that. I, it's, uh, I work as a program manager for a large semiconductor company, but by night, you know, that's when the flames rise. That's when I actually enjoy the things that I do is, and I'm working myself to becoming a professional speaker. And I speak a lot on the topic of mindset. And that's, the main topic that we're probably going to get into with my story, because that's what helped me f feel like I'm living the life that I want to live. You know, my dream, not necessarily the American dream. And the uh, mindset has helped me do that. So it's it's been a, a journey. And uh, the journey, is, I, I feel like I'm a rocket ship ready to take off. I'm I'm in the first phases of it, but uh, it's uh, I'm enjoying the ride right now. God, there's there's so much in what you just said that's so that's so powerful. One of the things that I think people get um, they get turned off by when they hear me and others talk about mindset is like, oh mm -hmm. gosh, here we go again. We're gonna talk about more mindset stuff. Everyone's talking about mindset, but. I what and that I think that that people get that feeling because there's not a lot of action associated with it like like 
mm-hmm. one of the things that drives me nuts is when when somebody says oh you have to you have to realize this and that's the action that you take and it's like cool let's say i realized it <laughs> now what what do we do now like what do i how do i turn this into action how do i turn this into something tangible and the cool thing is this is where we can dive into your history into your your backstory <laughs> is your your mindset led to massive action with extraordinary risk like more risk than i think almost any like native born american can mm-hmm. even comprehend because we're born into such even people that live kind of poorly if they haven't taken massive action to change their life and felt that risk it's not something that a lot of people have felt because we all get held back by that fear and so mm-hmm. that's the i think that that's the importance behind the mindset is that the focusing on mindset opens that door and it and it, it doesn't say don't be scared it says mm-hmm. you're scared now what do you do mm-hmm. like it, it changes it from a wall and it puts a door into that wall so so i want to talk about kind of like your door and how you how you saw that like what was your situation and what what changed in your mind to say this isn't a wall there's a door there mm-hmm. that that is such a good i i i think people really need to pay attention to it. i don't know if you've used this before but that's an Never. awesome <laughs> awesome analogy yeah we all see these walls in front of us and we're like it's impossible nothing's impossible you must build that door that's that's awesome that's well said matthew thank you right i came to the united states in 2005 with 200 dollars in my pocket i was 23 years old and i didn't know if it was going to work out or not you know, I just, I knew the situation where I was in back in Romania wasn't the best. It wasn't like I was starving or anything, but it wasn't an ideal way. And I had an opportunity to move to the United States. And like you said, that is, you know, it's it's scary. It's scary. I was lucky enough that my brother actually was already here and he gave me a corner in his room to put a mattress and sleep there. So I, I I had that going for me, but you know, from that point on, it was up to me to make whatever I want to make out of uh, this this uh, opportunity, right? I wanted, I want, I want depth. I want meat in this story. So, like, what what was what were the living conditions like? What was your family situation? What was your friends? What was the schooling? How old were you? when this mm-hmm. happened and what was the kind of life experience that you were having in Romania? Uh, yeah. Yep. That, hmm. Interesting. I I don't think I've ever told this story and never, neither have I thought too much about it. You know, up until I was 23 and I was living in Romania, I was living with my parents and it's not that uncommon in uh, Romania during those times to still live with your parents up until you finish school and you get a corporate job. But I was living with my parents. I had zero responsibilities. I hadn't had to do anything else other than go to go to school and come back 
and uh, my parents would provide housing, food, um, money for whatever I needed to do. But, you know, it was very limited because my parents weren't doing that great to where I would live lavishly, right? I, my, my hometown is a fairly small town to where most of the time I would walk to anywhere. Right. It's it's not like I would be able I, I we wouldn't be able to afford cars and stuff like that. So I, you know, my whole responsibility was to go to school, but I had nothing else, you know, just hanging out with my friends and partying on the weekends with the limited amounts that we had. And that was it. So, you know, making that shift to letting go of that comfortable life and no responsibilities, having just all these friends. And then moving here, it, it was a it was a quite a leap of faith and uh, scary, very scary. I, you know, I, I knew that I was going to leave, and even the three four months prior to is just, you know, you you question yourself: Am I doing the right call? What's going to happen? It's scary. Oh, I'm backing out. You know, fears coming, all these negative thoughts in your head. I, I'm not I'm not able. I, I don't speak the language well. What's going to happen? So, yeah, it was it was a, a huge leap of faith. Yeah, for sure. What was the what do you remember or was there an event that occurred that overtly sparked the idea that what where you were at at that time was not going to lead you on the path to where you mm -hmm. wanted to be like what was and and kind of subsequent to that if it is a different moment when did the idea of moving to the United States come into play? Like, where did those kind of things intersect? Mm -hmm. So like, when was it like, I can't do this. And the way that I can't, the way that I'm going to change this is by going to the U S were those the same mm -hmm. thing or were they two kind of different events? I mean, you know, there weren't too many options in Romania. Even if I would have finished school, the there were limited uh, jobs at that point uh, in in uh, the town that I was living in, and there wasn't a lot of. You know, you don't, you don't, you didn't have the entrepreneurs or the social media marketing manager position. There was nothing like that. So. I knew that I had a very narrow window of making it in Romania and being successful. And the, I think at that point, you know, especially when you're in your twenties, the biggest desire that you have is make a lot of money. Money is the, the driver, right? And it was a big, it's a big motivator. And that's where I was at that point, because we typically gravitate towards the things that we don't have. Right. And my parents didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I wasn't, I, you know, I worked as a DJ on the side, but I was getting, I, I keep telling people that the work that I was doing as a DJ in one month, uh, I would make here in the United States in less than a day. Wow. With minimum wage. Wow. So, you know, that desire of not being in that position really drove me to make the decision and have that leap of faith and be it as it may, just just do it. That's incredible. And so you said that your brother was already in the U.S. When? What's the age disparity there? When did he go? Why did he go? He, it's it's a two and a half year between us. Okay. 
he came probably two or three years prior and he was still settling in right he was still living in a one-bedroom apartment it wasn't it wasn't like he's he was still still struggling to make it uh, as well so he definitely helped me you know not land so roughly but it, and he showed me a few things you know like i didn't even know when you were talking about a, a phone number that you have to say the first three numbers and then you have to say the next three and then the four i was just like blah, blah, blah. And just those type of simple things that you know with they they're normal if you're growing up here but i i didn't know coming here so that's one of the things that my brother helped me a lot absolutely was there mm -hmm. um when so how did your parents react when you had this idea? Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to America. Like I'm mm -hmm. not going to go to school here anymore. And the path that's built out here is not going to go. Like, how did they react? Mm -hmm. What was, what were their thoughts? <laughs> that's yeah, that's a good question. I do remember on one hand there were, there were thorn, right? Because now my, my brother was already here. We're, we're the two siblings uh, that were in the family my brother was already here far away. They were missing him, but uh, I think they were trying to make the best out of it. And I know my mom looked at me and said, you guys have to be together. Uh, you should go there so that you have each other. Because when we're not going to be here, at least you guys are going to have each other. And I think she was saying that now that I think about it, just to make me feel good but she was probably hurting bad inside so it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision for for them to let us go that's yeah, mm -hmm. yeah i can see it especially with one being gone like i still have one son here like <laughs> are you gonna leave me too uh, and i was the baby oh yeah oh that's extra rough yeah i actually had um so my brother and i we were we are um three years apart Okay. Um, and we ended up actually going to like an automotive vocational school where we learned how to work on cars and kind of the science behind the mechanics and everything like that. We did that together. Um, once I graduated high school and so we went across the country, we were, we born and raised in Nebraska, right dead center in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then we went to Arizona, um, mm -hmm. for school and that was like a year long thing. Um, he ended up going to additional training in California for Volkswagen. And, and I, uh, I stayed in Arizona for a while before going back to Nebraska before joining the army. Um, mm -hmm. but all of that to say, we had a very strong bond and we were mm -hmm. able to get through a lot of stuff because we were together and we had that support. And that's, I feel like that's something that we're missing a lot of is kind of the the structural or familial support behind mm -hmm. it. Um, how did that how did that impact you when you first showed up? Like having one, obviously there was a huge support network in the fact that you had somewhere to go <laughs> when you showed up, right. which makes a big difference. It makes coming here with two hundred dollars in your pocket. Uh, not where you're not going to sleep on the street, you know, the first night that you show up. So, um, but as far as like the first couple of months getting here and you were there was, were you guys just completely doing your own separate things? Like he's still trying to get settled and you're trying to find your way. And, uh, and how did that relationship dynamic impact you on your, in, during your transition? 
Yeah, I mean, you're you're right that you know the bond was there because we weren't extremely close growing up, but because we came here and he he already went through a lot of struggles to kind of have himself situated. He definitely didn't want me to struggle as much as he did to to integrate and learn the ropes and not have to fall that much. But it was also the fact that at that point, now we're starting to have each other's back. You know, it's your car breaks down. He's He can come to get me and vice versa. There's simple things. And also, you know, you're you're in a totally foreign country. You don't know necessarily all the ins and outs. Uh, it was it was a good mental support uh, having him here. And I think because I was new, I was also younger. He he did uh, adopt like a father figure to me because a lot of the decisions that I took were always kind of leaning to, am I doing this correctly? <laughs> and just like okay, I'm going to do that. Right. So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of support that I got from him, uh, especially because I had back home so many friends and now I'm coming here and have zero friends. And that's really takes a toll on, uh, it took a toll on my psyche, you know, just staying at at Friday night at home while my brother was working all by myself. It's, you know, it wasn't the best situation but at least i know that he would come home and i would have someone to talk to so yeah he was he was very instrumental in being someone that i can lean on yeah for sure what was the what was the idea like when you came to the u.s like obviously you were saying that the the opportunities were many weren't weren't robust so there wasn't a lot of variety Mm -hmm. in like pursuing something that would be meaningful to you or or mm-hmm. even potentially just monetarily meaningful but uh so so when you were coming like what was the idea like i guess what was your vision of the future or was it just mm-hmm. there are more opportunities and i will i'll figure it out when i get there and we'll see what opportunities i can kind of work myself into mm-hmm. or was there something more clear than that you know i do think I think it happens to all of us where, you know, we we look at our parents, we look at our environment, we look at our friends, we look at our friends' parents and try to take cues on what would mean to be successful or feel like you make it. And I came in to the United States with this idea, especially learning it from Romania, that if you want to be successful, you have to be stable. You have to have a corporate job. You have to uh, make sure that you save for retirement and you keep your head down. You don't make a lot of noise because that's, uh, you know, that may create some uh, some ripples that might get you fired. And a lot of it, a lot of these cues I took from my environment. And that's that's the dream that I had, you know, when even watching movies. You know, the American dream for me, in my mind, it got solidified that you have to have the red brick home and you have to live in a cute neighborhood and have the corporate job and go on vacations here and there. And that's that's exactly the image that I had when coming here. That's so. That's so interesting to hear that Hmm. from an outside perspective of the American dream is essentially the same right like there's there's 
a sort of classification behind it that that I think that you nailed it when you said stability, right? Mm-hmm. And and part of stability is like being one of the flock. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you're not stable if you if the herd is moving in this direction and you're taking a moment. You're not even necessarily moving a different direction, but you're taking a moment to say, I don't know if that's the direction I want to go. Like it might be, that might be a really good direction. A bunch of people are going. And I think that's, I think it's rooted back Mm in um, like the concepts of uh, evolutionary psychology where, Mm -hmm. you know, our survival was based on the success of the group. So if the group in your tribe is, moving from this location to that location you're, you're rolling go. with the group like yep. <laughs> you ain't gonna survive on your own and we're just we went we've evolved so quickly or like our our societal structures have shifted so dramatically over the last 200 years can you mm-hmm. imagine 1820 like in what world it was like, oh, go back 300 years. And you think about how long humans have been around. Do they keep kind of pushing the dates back and back and back to the anatomically uh, matched, like same size skull and everything. It keeps mm-hmm. getting pushed back like tens, hundreds of thousands of years ago at this point where they're finding these, these matches. And it's you're like, okay, well let's say, I mean, look 500 years ago. And the and the scale of percentages of how long humans have been around with the same exact brain mass, five fifteen twenty, and how different mm. things are today, right? Uh, you know, go back another five hundred years, right? Holy smokes, one thousand twenty two, right? It's just the the incredible changes that have existed, and and the it's like our ability to survive more autonomously. Mm-hmm. I mean, kinda, kinda like <laughs> I still really rely on people to come pick up the trash. And I, right. I, there's a lot of subtleties in the background of things running perfectly. Like uh, water is piped into my house. That sure is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but the whole point is that I think that we, we are biologically and and ancestrally guided towards feeling safe in a group and doing Mm -hmm. what the group does because typically what the group does is going to be right and right having the meaning of we're gonna make it like we're gonna survive so so there is an internal struggle i think it's for every single person i don't really believe in the the like uh, I'm not a, it's like, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a low, I, I go to the beat of my own drum. I'm a, I'm on my own. I just do my own thing. I don't really care what the group does. Like maybe, maybe those people exist. I'm sure. I mean, there's always outliers, but I think by and large, we all struggle with that and we all get wrapped into this rat race of, doing the same things that everyone else is doing and like how normal is it for us to get up in the morning work nine hours at a job you know Mm -hmm. sitting behind the computer sitting on a production line putting one like a rivet in a door you know that rivet in that door and that rivet in the next door and that same thing 
We're not built for it, but that's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that is, and especially like in your view as an individual, if I'm a riveter, <laughs> literally everybody around me, it's not even that they're all working nine to fives. They're all riveting. They're doing mm-hmm. the next rivet. You know, it's they're, they're putting this piece of plastic on like it's, and they're doing it over and over. It's like even zoomed into the individual's world. Like what you experience in that nine to five is what everyone else is experiencing immediately around you. And so we get trapped by these, these other walls, right. Of, of our own reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And so by our own reality, we're like, we're building up this wall of familiarity. Like this is what's around us. This is what's normal. If I left this job to jump industry to, to change my life, like that's right. Everybody around me, I'll say the last thing before I, I throw it back over to you. When I was in the military, getting out of the military was looked upon very negatively. And it wasn't like, oh, how dare you? You're mm. you're dishonoring the brotherhood. That wasn't it. It was you're a fool. You're never gonna make it. Mm. Like the mm-hmm. army gives you, and and the army does such a good job at this. Not just the army, but the military. All of them do it. They do mm-hmm. such a good job at getting their talents in you and getting you so comfortable because all of your dental taken care of free, all of your mm. healthcare taken care of for free. You get your base pay, but not only do you get your base pay, depending on where you live. They give you a basic allowance for housing based on your location. Mm -hmm. So when I was near DC, I was getting $2,500 a month on top of my base pay just to pay for housing. You know? And so it's like all of these things, you look at getting out and you're like, oh my gosh. And then 50, 90% of the jobs don't translate. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like your incentives there are, and then that's what built. And so, people's fear senior leaders i've seen senior leaders do this to soldiers where they say a soldier that's been in for three years is like i did my three i'm gonna get out and the senior leader who came to succumbed whatever that word is (laughs) they to their own fear time and time again because in the military you have contracts so you go in you sign an initial contract for four years sign up so that senior leader said okay my contract's up i'm gonna sign another one that contract's up i'm gonna sign another one so they succumbed to their fears multiple times before mm-hmm. this point and then they got comfortable because this is reality and they see people be successful again the walls of what you see they see the people that they see that are successful aren't the entrepreneurs. They're not the business owners. They're not the guys that get out because they don't stay in touch with those guys. They see the people that are successful, the ones getting promoted in the military. And so you getting out, they say, you're going to fail. Good luck. Like that's the best thing that I've ever heard from somebody is a sarcastic, good luck. Mm -hmm. Like just with a very strongly inferred, you can't do it. And and I've heard leaders say, I can't wait to see you back here in two years when you come and sign back up because you didn't make it on the right. outside. Like these are real conversations that we're having by the, by the leaders, leaders I'm saying in air quotes, like unbelievable disparaging on people's future. Um, that's, and so, that's them. That's them projecting their fear onto you. Exactly. Because exactly so, right. They build those walls so much that they they can see around them above them anywhere else and um 
accept their little ground. And when someone else challenges that wall of theirs, they feel the need to protect it. And that's their own fear. Yeah. And imagine how challenging it is. If you have to have that thought, you've spent 15 years in the military, 15 years in anything, right? And you're there and you've been successful, right? You're doing well, but you're doing well in something that you were kind of prompted to do out of fear. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's maybe this wasn't even your dream. Well, I stayed in for 12 years. My idea was to go in for three and a half and then to mm-hmm. leave to become a um like a parachute, a free fall instructor. No. After three years. I stayed in for 12 because of the same thing. Like it works. They do a really yeah. good job. Um, but but yeah, so they they inculcate that fear. But so so what I was saying is the individual who's getting out who says, yeah. I have a dream and I'm going to go pursue that dream. And it might be crazy. I'm going to go start a pizza restaurant. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, right, you? Mm-hmm. And it's, and they and there's an extra thing that's, that guy's only been in for three years. That means he's probably still a, what we call like a Joe, like a, mm-hmm. a junior enlisted soldier. Like, has he, right? <laughs> hasn't made, a, uh, hasn't made it through the ranks. So, so, they haven't even proved themselves to be successful in the military. You're saying you, a Joe, you're going to go out there and you're going to own a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't even do anything here. How are you going to mm-hmm. do So like there's an extra negative, but that extra negative, exactly like you said, it's, it's bringing up all of those moments of fear, all of those reenlistments that they did for another mm-hmm. contract. It's, it's like, all of those emotions where they had that thought because every single person, unless there there are people that are like, I'm doing a career, no question about it. That's awesome. Dude, I don't have anything against career soldiers. Mm-hmm. I would have done it. I would have stayed for a career. I just broke my back. So I couldn't stay in. But uh, so I got nothing against it. But the ones that had dreams that didn't mm-hmm. want to stay in and stayed in because of fear, those are the ones that are talking all this crap. And they are the ones when this is happening and they're seeing it, that positive action and that follow through with it and that not succumbing to a fear throws all of those reenlistment decisions back in their face. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, rather than dealing with their own self-disgust with their mm-hmm. decisions, exactly like you said, they're projecting all of that onto that person hoping genuinely hoping that their disparagement is going to make them fail mm-hmm. that's so it's evil it's pure evil and it's not i'm not saying they're evil the people are not evil they're just they are succumbing unknowingly to their subconscious mm-hmm. unconscious uh emotional state of trying to uh you know trying to support the decisions that they've made that got them to where they are. Mm-hmm. All of that huge rant goes back to you, right? Mm-hmm. So you have, you've made, you made choices, right? You, you started pursuing the path of, of the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what was talk, talk about that. Talk about your pursuit of the American dream and talk about um the, the kind of realization, like what 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 mental processes you started having 
about that dream as you were pursuing it that eventually led to a little bit of a shift another shift you know your your rent sorry to digress but your rent got me thinking because you know i was going on that path of living the already set laid out for me american dream and at one point i knew that i wanted something different and like you say there's there's folks who are just going with the tribe nonstop but i'm and i was i was one of them right I, the american dream was laid out for me and that's where i was going i didn't think about it too much that's what i've learned from society from movies from everybody around me that's what they were telling me and i thought that you know i, I was i was brainwashed and that's the only thing i knew but if you were to look if i i'm i'm looking back at it now the more i open my eyes to it is i recognize that that was a season in my life that was necessary to establish what I was yearning for the most at that stage. And that is security, safety, and comfort. Those were the things that I was lacking the most when I came from Romania. You know, my parents, they lost their jobs. That was very scary. Uh, we didn't have money. That was very scary. So that, based on that fear... I came to the United States and that was my drive. Like I don't want to be I don't want to be in a place where we're wondering if we're going to pay rent. Right? And that was that was the driver that got me to do all the the things that uh, the American dream was supposed to get me to do. That's and so that is so that's so huge. So for people that didn't pick up what's going on, this is what the American dream is built to do. It's not built to to destroy you or take away your dreams mm. or to do anything like that. It's it's all positive, but it's all positive in one direction. So whenever mm. you're whenever you're thinking about taking action in your life, there are two primary mechanisms that we use for motivation. And one is a push and one is a pull. Right. And so and I've, yeah, I've never thought about this like this until right now. I've, I've understood what I just said. I've understood that concept for a very long time. I think actually probably the first time I heard it uh, articulated really eloquently was by Jordan Peterson. Um, <laughs> but what really, what the American dream answers or, or the, the, of those forces what the American dream, what that, what uh, fulfillment of security and those Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, the level one of physiological needs and the level two of security needs. What, what the American dream does is it, it it's the, it's the pushing element. So it's just mm -hmm. like you said, when you are, when you're talking about fear, that's like you're getting pushed by the fear to mm -hmm. take action. And yep. so you're acting out of a push, out of a push based off fear, which, which uh, is a huge motivational factor. Exactly. That's how you survive. Mm -hmm. If a bear is running at you, you're not waiting for something to pull you away. You're running, <laughs> you know? And so you had your own bears chasing after you, the bears of fear of, of, of 
unemployment, of not having enough money, of not having security. That's terrifying. And you felt it. You saw it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so the American dream provides the scaffolding, a very clear structure that says you enter into this process. You're not going to have to deal with those bears. We're shutting the door behind you, but we're not telling you that we're building a wall. (laughs) We're not, we're not going to tell you that we're cementing that door shut. Like, but you don't have to worry. You don't have to think about the walls because the walls are there to protect you. You're mm-hmm. protected. You don't have those fears anymore. You're safe. You're secure. You got that paycheck. You're going to be able to pay for your meals. Walls mm-hmm. are protecting. But those same walls that are protecting you are also keeping you caged in and and blocking off access to that other huge motivational force, which is the pole. That dr- the, the real American dream, the true essence of what it means to be an American to me is that we have the freedom to aggressively, passionately, unapologetically pursue what it is that drives us mm-hmm. in a manner that benefits the people around us. To me, that's that's what it means to be here and to be able to do that however you see fit for your life. Whatever passion calls you, pursue that and make as much gosh darn money as you possibly can in doing so. I'm not saying that this is the best dream. I'm saying that that's what I think the American dream is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, what it is... Now, it's those walls. It's that protection from the push. You don't have to worry about the push. We're going to remove your motivation by putting you in a system where you're taken care of. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about it. We got you. Don't worry about saving for retirement. We're going to yank it from your check. We'll give you social security. You know what I mean? It's just like, don't don't worry. That's the American dream (laughs) in in practice is don't worry. So... You were in it. You you yeah. bought in. I bought in. <laughs> yeah, full force. Yeah, for sure. And you know, for a while it was it was really good. It, it it gave me that comfort. I I checked all the boxes and I'm comfortable. The walls are coming up. I'm adding layers to it. I feel comfortable. And that pain that pushed me was alleviated. That's a but good the question, feeling. It 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 was. For a while until the question was, is there more? Right? Was there? <laughs> well, that's what I racked my brain for almost two and a half years. It's just like, is there more to this? Right? Because once once I was able to check the boxes and get the red brick home and have the cushy job and be comfortable, then I started being okay, right? You you get that external satis- uh, satisfaction or comfort, but then up here, we always we're we're humans. We want more. As time goes, we want to grow as well. And I just started being uneasy. That that's all I can tell you. I, I would go to bed Sunday night, and I would wake up in in the middle of the night and I would do a staring contest with my watch 
and not know what is going on. I had everything. All of it was fine. You know, and I, I keep talking about this principle. Job was fine. Uh, my relationships were fine. My home was fine. Security was fine. Safety was fine. But nothing was great. Nothing was fantastic. And that's where I started struggling to be. I I fulfilled the American dream. But what is my dream? And that's when the, the questions started coming up. And I started being uneasy. That is, it's something that we are, we have grown to embrace is the feeling of ease and the feeling of comfort. Mm. It's from the moment we wake up in the morning, we're wrapped in comfort. We're literally in our blanket of comfort <laughs> in our house that's providing heat or air conditioning, mm. whatever the season demands, mm. you know, and it's we have a battle with ourselves from the moment that we wake up from the moment that we made a promise to ourselves the night before that says, I, and when you make that promise you're setting an alarm, that's making a promise. You're making a contract with yourself. <laughs> I'm going to wake up at six in the morning. When you hit snooze, you're breaking that contract, Ooh, you know, really and good. it's, and when, when you start your day off, by violating a sense of trust with yourself, that's not a good note to kick the day off with. There's never going to be a time. I use this. I use this kind of um, this game, this uh, this thought process with my kids and with professionals that I work with all the time. Where I say that, like for this instance specifically, there's never going to be a moment in your life. Where you say, I really wish I didn't wake up at five o'clock in the morning. But there's never gonna be a moment where like, God, I wish I didn't get up so early. Oh, why did I do that? Like you might, you might feel tired that day, but mm -hmm. the amount of stuff, I'll tell you what, the amount that my business has grown, the amount of of uh effective work that I've been able to accomplish between five and eight in the morning. It's it's as much as the next three days of of actual work of like nine to five work hours. It's mm -hmm. incredible, and a part of it, I believe, has to do with this this energy that you're feeling. This like I won. You know why I won? Because I look outside and you know who's up? Nobody. I'm up. I'm the one doing it. Not you. Almost nobody's up right now. But I am. And so there's like this extra surge of let's go, you know, yeah. like I'm going to get and and it's combined with the fact that the reality, nobody else is up, which means that you're mm -hmm. not getting emails. Your, your kids aren't asking for this, that or the other. You're not worried about doing this for your spouse. Like it's 100% you time. And mm -hmm. so throw you get to throw yourself wholeheartedly into whatever it is you're doing, you know, and so whatever it is that you want to do. And I'll tell you what, you know, what's uncomfortable, you know, it's uneasy getting up at five in the morning without a plan. Oh, get up at five in the morning. I was going to say without 
without purpose, one, good luck actually doing that. Good luck getting up at five without like, I'm going to make sure to work out before I start this day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure to write a thousand words towards the book I've always dreamed about writing. Or I just, I don't know, maybe it's not even the book. Maybe it's just a book. I've always wanted to write a book. I'm going to write a thousand words. There's got to be something there. Because <laughs> you go and sit in your office, but I'll tell you what, there's 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 nothing bad that's going to happen if you get up at five, you don't have a plan, and you go sit down behind your computer without mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi connected, <laughs> turn off your Wi-Fi, and, and just sit behind your computer. I guarantee you there's not a single... Again, it goes back to that same game that I play. There's never going to be a moment in your life when at, at 5.30 in the morning, you spent the next 30 minutes behind your computer with just a blank canvas or or uh, a literal canvas with paints. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever it is, whatever your thing with your guitar, you know, like, there's never going to be a moment where you're going to be like, God, I wish I didn't dedicate 30 minutes to learning to play the guitar every morning. There's never, it's never going to happen. Good luck. And I'll add one thing to this is, because apparently we're the same. I wake up at five <laughs> o'clock as well. And I I always have a plan. But there's, you know, there's so many of us who wake up at five and just jump right, right to emails and start start going with their day and getting frustrated and all of this. I assure you that work will never end if you started at five or if you started at eight. It's still going to be there no matter what. So if you're able to take that first part of the day, like you said, to dedicate it towards yourself and have that plan to do something consciously that is filling your soul and filling your bucket, that's more important than responding to five emails. Oh, that's so powerful. That's so true. Oh, it's, I, I learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this memory haunts me to this day. I, I feel like I just, I just spent like 10 minutes yesterday or the day before wallowing in this thought in this memory. And it was, mm-hmm. I was working in the 82nd airborne. I was a paratrooper living the airborne dreams of my life. Like I, it's one of those internal networks of like uh, in the army where like we brewed our own Kool-Aid that the whole cult drank, you know, like it's, it's bad, but I brewed it. I was the one brewing it. I was the one pouring in the ingredients. Like I love this stuff. And, uh, but when it came to the actual work and not just jumping out of the airplanes, I was in Intel. I managed like security clearances and a bunch of admin crap. Right. And so, but it was a lot of work. It was all, mm-hmm. and it was literally, like you said, I would show up, I would do work. We would start physical training PT in the morning at 6.30. We'd be out there for formation. We'd salute, we'd sing our little song, and then we'd go work out. Um, I'd show up to work at five. I So I'd be at work at five. I'd work mm-hmm. for an hour and a half before PT, go back, shower, blah, 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 blah. Work the whole day. Everyone would leave and I would continue working for another two to three hours. And I did that for in that unit for like two and a half years. That was every single day. I would go in on the weekends and I would work. Mm-hmm. No one asked me to. No one said you have to have this done, mm-hmm. but I knew the deadlines and I knew what I had to do. And it, it was, I was doing one job of like seven different people. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was 
and I demanded excellence of myself. I demanded like perfection in what I was doing. And so I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing it. And one day there was a, there was this girl that I worked with who was incredible. She was like a, she worked in a form of military intelligence. Um, but on the technical side of support. So like she worked on like the server stacks that okay. stored secured information and in a brigade, which is like 4,000 people, you'd get like two of them. You get like two of these people. And so yeah. they were gold. If they were good, most of them weren't good. Most of them didn't care. And they were just mm -hmm. like, oh, whatever. No one knows what I do exactly. So I'll just do whatever I want. <laughs> so as long as everything's working, no one bothers me. This girl was not that yeah. way. She was mm -hmm. a pro. She was like me. She's like, I'll work. She worked her ass off. And we developed, we were always going, me, her, and a couple other people would always go first on missions to like set things up before everyone else showed up to go do the mission. So me and her were always there first. And so we developed a really, really good relationship, really strong working relationship, so much mutual respect and just like, and trust and all of this. Mm -hmm. She ends up, getting accepted to go into a very elite uh unit like a joint special operations command unit and it was just like premiere of premiere and so we were we were doing her farewell it was like so whenever anybody comes we do a hail so we do like a big lunch event where we hail okay. all of the people coming in and then when mm -hmm. individuals leave we do an individual farewell we say okay we'll go there we're going to give you like a gift from the unit it's usually like a plaque with like a picture of you doing work there and all of like these awards that are kind of presented that you can hang up on the wall or like a sword, you know, whatever. Every unit has their own thing. Okay. Um, just as like a memorial, like remember your time here, you did great things. Right. So they, we'd set up this really big elaborate uh, farewell for her. And instead of going, I stayed at the office and I worked through lunch mm. and my boss at the time who we didn't get along um, and it's, he was, yeah, doesn't matter, but he shows up towards the end of lunch, maybe 15 minutes left in lunch. And he's like, Hey, this is where you're at. And I was like, yeah, I just, I got to do, I have to get these reports. I've got to get turned in and it's going to be late by this afternoon. And I just, I had to get it done. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, I won't say her name, but like uh, she was, we were there at her farewell. And I was like, yeah, I know. I really wanted to go. It's like, she was asking for you. Like, she was like, where's, where's Sergeant Lost? Everyone called me Lost. No one knew how to say my last name. Mm. <laughs> like, where's Sarl? You know, like, uh, and he's like, I didn't have anything to tell her. Cause I didn't know where you were and you're here. And he just left it at that and walked away. And that has, that has, oh, that like claws at my soul to this day. Mm -hmm. I've, I, after she, she ended up getting out of the military later and so did I. Um, I ended up like messaging her and talking to her and be like, dude, I, st I told her, I said, like, I still think about that to this day. And like, mm -hmm. I feel awful. She's like, don't, don't, you're fine. Blah, blah, blah. But I can even tell in the messages that she's like, like, yeah. come on. You know? right. <laughs> so, but it's, it's all of that to, to your point of like, we, we look for those things. Like we, we look to be busy because there's pride in being mm -hmm. busy there's a value placed on being busy you know and and that is one of the downfalls is that you lose sight 
like when you don't have a clear idea of why you're busy or what you're busy for, what's the bigger purpose and, 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 and that then, then you become a slave to the work rather than, than having work be a tool that enables your future, you know? And so, and it's hard to do that when you're working for somebody else, when you're not taking ownership over your own, your own stuff because you're already kind of like enslaving your time. Like you've made a deal. I will right. trade time for money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? But yeah. so for you, you, you're, you're working, you're in, you're in the thick of the walls of the American mm-hmm. dream. You're cut off from, from pain, but you're also cut off from, from hope and the dream of the future. But right. you start to get uneasy. You start to get mm-hmm. a sense of this, and it's eating away at you, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. the The American dream was checked off. Yet there was nothing else in the future, right? the The walls were there, the comfort, but there was no pool, nothing. And that so, that definitely made me uneasy, restless. You know, you you wake up Sunday night, and another week has gone, another month, another year. What's going on? Once you get to that point. It's crazy when you get to a level that there's like a, there's like a dollar amount where it's like, it's, I think they did a study and it was something like $60,000, not a whole lot, $60,000 earned a year Mm -hmm. changes your brain where nothing else. It doesn't matter the same way as zero to 60 is different than 60 to a million. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, there's a, there's an entirely different mindset because you're going from that survival scrapping, like clawing your way up. And now almost anywhere, your basic, those bottom two rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm, safe, mm-hmm. physiological needs and safety, they're fulfilled at 60 K mm-hmm. they're fulfilled. And so from yeah. there you can easily get into this state of, well, let me just, well, in in the military, we call it like improving your foxhole. And that is an analogy that we would use for like everything. So like when you first dig a foxhole, like you just dig into the ground, right? And you have uh-huh. a hole. And then, and when you're improving it, you make a grenade sump. You dig uh, a little hole into the side where you can put your radio. You build up your sandbags. You build an overhead cover. You camouflage it bit by bit by bit. <laughs> and so like that is what I think we trick ourselves into as being a part of the American dream is Mm -hmm. that instead of continuing to dream, Mm -hmm. we stop dreaming because we've hit 60 K or whatever that is for you. That makes you feel, you know, and then you start to improve your foxhole. You're like, Oh, well I can get a nicer car now. Oh, I could get, we can get a bigger house. Oh, I could, you know, I could, we can go on that. Va- like you said, we can go on that vacation once mm-hmm. this year, you yep. know, but I can't ask for another one. Cause heaven forbid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're uneasy. You're asking yourself these questions. What are, what were, what were the, like the powerful questions or that narrative that was happening inside of you that spurred you that like ended up spurring action? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, first, I, I I was gonna say that you're right. We you know we get that we get to that um, Maslow's hierarchy where we're safe. We get the 
60, 70, whatever the comfort zone is for us. And because we don't have any vision for the future, then we start drowning ourselves either in more work, like you said, it's like, I don't know what, what else I can do. So I'm just going to work more. Or, you know, you start uh, watching every football game that's uh, on TV and uh, play the uh, lottery. I don't know what there's another fantasy football and you get into the all 82 games of basketball and all of these things. So you're just get to the point where you're comfortable and you get buried into all these busy work that are not meaningful and they're just slowly chipping at you. But to me, I do think that this is where a lot of people fall into and that is the worst place to be where you're comfortable, but not enough to tilt you over to do something about it. And I can tell you that I stayed there for two years and I was asking like, seriously, is there more? can I do anything else? You know, and I hear people talking about, oh, passion, passion. You got to follow your passion. You got to find your passion, what you're passionate about. That will give you fulfillment. And I'm looking under the rock. I'm looking at the bottom of the ocean. I'm, you know, I'm trying to find this passion and I can't find it anywhere, right? Because you don't find your passion. I learned after a while, it's you have to build your passion, right? The, The passion is not in the bottoms of the sea but it's it's in the bottom of your heart that's a that's a different discussion but is it that's a good one <laughs> sorry go ahead please please yeah no you're Keep right going. yeah it's it, it, what happened is i was in that i was stewing so much in that wonderment if if there's something else that I didn't know what it was. And luckily for me, my wife saw me brewing. And you don't know what it is, right? And you feel like you you know everything and you don't need the help. And especially when it comes to someone so close, you, you're very reluctant to take any kind of advice. But my wife just nudged me at one point and like, hey, listen to this personal development podcast. There's a motivational speaker, Les Brown and Lewis House that are talking. And, you know, it was just, just that little spark. That little spark was there. And I started jumping to another podcast where they talked about the notion of pulling it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, mindset. And that's where I started reading the book Mindset. And all of a sudden, the heavens open, the, the, the choir started singing, and I it, it just blew my mind to realize that if I want to dream something else, I can dream and achieve it. And this is one point that I was going to make is, you know, we all have certain seasons in our lives, right? You had your season where you were in the army and you were grinding hard. And that's okay. We all have those type of seasons. I I was working to fulfill my American dream. And that's okay. Up until a point when you feel that uneasiness, that's when you have to wonder what else is there and what is the next season in my life. And that's where I started with the mindset. It's trying to open up the possibilities of something different where I didn't even know there was anything different. Right? 
and that's that's how I I started. That's it's so tangible. So the the crazy part is, I guess the a lot of people have that kind of experience that you had, right? Um, and they they will get to that point. They're comfortable, but they start to get a little bit uneasy. Maybe they've watched their seventh season of the NFL and they've done their fantasy league and they're even mm-hmm. in those those comfortable stacks that keep building up higher. They're starting to say, what am I what am I really getting from this? Like I don't it's just mm-hmm. so much time invested and I just don't feel I don't feel anything, mm-hmm. you know? And so the they might hear uh, an inspirational podcast. They might hear an inspirational message. Tony Robbins might make their way mm-hmm. through their, you know, YouTube feed or, you know, <laughs> and, and Les Brown. Oh my gosh. What a man. <laughs> but so they might, they might get these injections and they get this feeling, this like dopamine hit of like dopamine is one of the most misunderstood chemicals. I think generally speaking, mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. are like, Oh, it's a feel good. It's a feel good chemical. I'm like, yeah, it does make you feel good. Um, and people say, oh, it's a reward mechanism. Like, mm-hmm. we're getting further from the truth. <laughs> it's what it really is. It's like, it's like a hope chemical. It's, mm-hmm. it's the idea. It's, it's an anticipation mm-hmm. signal. That's why slot machines work. That's why gambling works because it hits your dopamine receptors. It's not, I won, I got a Mm -hmm. dopamine hit. It's that I might win. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I do win. And when I do win, it's unexpected. Thing that people don't realize, the most powerful dopamine hits come from unexpected positive events. So if Mm -hmm. you like went out for a run right now, you're like, oh, I feel good. Like, I have the endorphins kicking in. Like I'm getting maybe a runner's high. I'm feeling really good. And I, and I'm feel good because I'm doing something that's positive for my body and all this. But if while you're on a run, you happen to run into a really good old friend who's also running that you haven't seen in like three, four years, you go, Holy smokes, this is incredible. And that dopamine hits like boom through the roof because it was unexpected and it was positive. And Mm -hmm. so, I think that that is that's very important to consider when it when when you're thinking about this kind of stuff when you're thinking about like well, how do I how do I structure something in in such a way that's that is uh how do I build systems that encourage the growth and I think where where I was originally thinking about this is that when people listen to a Les Brown or they listen to a Tony Robbins right. they'll get that dopamine hit because they have like one, I didn't expect to feel this way from this talk. Mm-hmm. Like, holy smokes, that's awesome. And you have this idea of this anticipation of what the future could possibly hold for you. But what I think more people fall into is that they go back to the same well for that next dopamine hit. So instead mm-hmm. of taking the principles of what they listen to and putting them into action and seeing that turn into something, mm-hmm. they listen to another video. Correct. Which for people like me who make videos is wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, 
but for the actual end use, the person who's listening, who's like taking in this mm-hmm. information that needs to take action in their life to to live a way that few other people live by by pers- taking this action, they have to take that action. And mm-hmm. so you have you have given like keynote speeches since then, like in front of like hundreds of people, you know, like, like you took real action. So you went from achieving the American dream, which is no small task, mm-hmm. but the system's built for it to pushing out of that system from getting that, those exogenous, you know, uh, inserts of, of motivation from, from the podcast, from these, mm-hmm. these points from reading the books. So how did you get from like, take me on the journey with you from Les Brown to yeah. you on stage. Yeah, that and that that's a really good point, right? Because we do we do fall into this trap where we search for that dopamine and my mentor called it spiritual entertainment where we hear a motivational speech and we're like, yeah, this is so exciting. I'm going to definitely do this tomorrow. <laughs> It's the most Until I listen to another clip ever. <laughs> right. Yes. And it's it's true. And it it's funny you say that because that's exactly what happened. Now that I think about it, I I started listening to these ideas of a growth mindset, of the possibilities that I can do that it, it really allowed me to dream for myself to the possibilities of what could be other things that I can foresee for myself in the future, not living the American dream, but having a new dream for myself that next season. And I did stay in that state for uh, some time. You know, I was contemplating, I was, I was brewing on it. And I, I do feel like this is kind of the, there's certain stages in change where at first you don't know that you want to change, then you kind of realize that there's that you want to change. Then you're thinking about how can I change? And then you start to make a plan. And after that, you actually take action on that plan. So I, I brewed into the, those stages for some time. And I remember going to a Tony Robbins event. It was a four-hour quick event. And it was it was fascinating too because we were there since five o'clock in the morning. Tony wasn't speaking. There were a lot of other speakers. He was just closing out the event. It's four o'clock at this point. We've went through all these different trainings and sales pitches and all of this. We were exhausted. And Tony comes on and the energy is just amazing, right? He has this, this way of making you feel just so energized, you know, makes you dance and all that stuff. But he did point out exactly what you were saying is like a, a plan, no, a dream without a plan. is just, it's just a dream, right? There's, it's, it, there's, there's nothing there. It is just, you're just dreaming about something. It's not going to manifest unless you put a plan together. And I took a, a paper and a pen and I just wrote down, in this amount of time, I will. I want to do this. In this amount of time, I want to do this. In this amount of time, it was a simple draft of no, no longer a dream, but some goals. And that's when I started thinking, okay, now it's no longer a dream; it's a plan. What do I do? Right. 
and I can we can talk about how to plan your future rather than dream of your future. Yeah, it's huge. It's one of the things that that I've facilitated in like uh in the goal setting workshops that I've done mm-hmm. is using smart goals, right? And it's yep. something that people hear and they're like, oh gosh, here we go, smart goals oh, again. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, there's a reason that it's stuck around. And people always want to do their little spin, like, oh, make a you make your goals smarter. And so they mm-hmm. add an ER like, listen, guys, let's there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's no reason to to want to throw your own little spicy flavor onto everything. Sometimes and honestly, because I think what people in, in my position and in your position where we're we're in the business of helping people, we mm-hmm. we can get lost and and a little bit blinded by by ourselves by wanting to insert ourselves into the process me this is why i love the word facilitate me facilitating a mm-hmm. goal setting workshop means that the process here is between that person who's attending mm-hmm. and their desired future. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. I'm merely facilitating the process. So I want to give you the honestly, like the most simple, not the easiest, but the most simple recipe that it takes to get from here to there. And you laid out a huge, probably. If you weren't going to do any other part of a smart goal, you have to do what you just said you did. And that is you give it, you use time, you use T mm-hmm. to create time to create the deadline. You say, yep. I'm going to do this by that date. Mm-hmm. Take out all the rest of it. If you're going to take away one thing, give yourself a deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have, that's what that single piece alone is what takes it from being a dream and turns it into a plan. Because mm-hmm. exactly like you said, you once you have a date, you say you ought your brain automatically has to break this down into subtasks. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, I can't just say, I want to speak on stage uh, and deliver a powerful message that's going to change people's lives in two months. Mm-hmm. That's that's my timeline. And you can't just say, okay, cool. I'm going to go do that. You have to say, what has to happen for me to get from where I'm at to there? It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not stepping up one step. How many steps are there? Like, what do I need? What do, okay. When then you, then you have to do your research, right? You have to figure, well, what do speakers have? Okay. Um, they don't have degrees necessarily. Okay. I don't have to go to college to get a degree. That's cool. Um, but they have some sort of life experience that they're able to share. Do mm-hmm. I have life experience? So I, there's a lot of introspection that's involved. So what, when you talk about creating a plan, I'm curious, um, how do you, how do you structure your dreams? I like mm-hmm. that idea. I like the idea of, because goals feels like it's used all the time, a structured dream. I just like that just came into my head and I, I like it. I'm going to use that probably for a good long while now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I actually like also vision. Yes. A yes. Vision, 
And, you know, I have a, I, I put together just for myself as well as for other people, if they, they're interested, I, I call it the four pillars of actualizing your dream. And one is perception. And that's more about self, uh, self-awareness. Uh, the second one is planning which is the the topic that we're talking about now. Progress is necessary as the third pillar. And then perspective, which is mindset, even though I put it at uh, the last, is kind of interleaved with everything else. And I I did forget to mention that the first one, the P of the perception, is our self-awareness. That self-awareness happened when I was talking about change, because a lot of times we don't know what we want. And that's why we drown ourselves with uh, all these distractions. And we we just numb ourselves, right? Rather than thinking about it, uh, we we just we just be we're too busy, right? You've you've heard people say when you're talking about waking up at five o'clock in the morning, someone would tell me, Oh, I just I don't have time for that. I'm so busy. But if you would have something meaningful that you want to do, you would be able to carve out of your time an hour or two to do the things that are meaningful to you. But because there's no awareness of what to do, then people just drown out uh, their time with busy work. And busy work is not meaningful work. Like that's, I, I heard someone say that, right? And the I'm going to say that how you become more self-aware is eliminating what I've had at the beginning of my journey is having all these external factors tell me what to do. You know, you have your parents, you have your society, all of these telling you, oh, this is the American dream, follow this. And I was fine for that season of my life. But then the next season where you do the things that you want to do, you achieve your dream, that no longer requires an external look. It requires an internal look, right? You you don't look at the bottom of the ocean. I told you that. It seems you like it. You look at the bottom of your heart. And that's when you start asking yourself, what is the thing that I like? What are the things that are exciting to me? What are the things that I could do that I feel lost in time? Things that give me energy rather than drain energy. And those are the things that I had to figure out in that brewing session where I was wondering, what what can I do for myself? What would be that dream, right? And that's that that took took a while until from the moment I heard Les Brown until the moment I uh, was with Tony Robbins. It was it was that self discovery, self awareness chance to dig deep and kind of realize what are things that are interesting. Right? There's and nothing, you know, you don't you don't go come out of the wound running, right? You first have to learn how to walk, and you have to crawl. So the first things that you do is like, oh, I have I like playing the piano, but I'm no good at it. Okay. Practice. See if you like it. If you get immersed and you enjoy it, and you're now you're no longer um, you're just think that it's cool. You actually find it fascinating. It, you you will get lost in time. That's when I was mentioning that you I've turned a curiosity into building a passion, and that's how I was able to c- conjure a dream for myself of becoming a motivational professional speaker. Through, through those steps. I don't know it's if you want to add something to that. Yeah, it's, 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 oh, it's so interesting 
it's I feel like it's um it's a testament to our time that that first step has to exist. But it's also a testament the and by that I mean we have to spend time to figure out what it is that we're passionate about. To mm-hmm. me, that's crazy. But there was a time when I had that, you know, or I, I guess really, I never really had a time like that as much as my passions were usurped by other um, shadow. It's, I listened to a book called uh, War of Art, and he talks about like shadow professions, um, mm-hmm. being a shadow pro. And that's so my military career was a shadow profession. It was, it gave me the things that I wanted to achieve in my, in my life through a different means. Mm -hmm. And that weren't fulfilling in the way that pursuing my real passions would be. So I got to experience what it was like to be in a highly respected profession, to be respected as a, as a expert and a professional in my field, um, to feel like, you know, like, like a man, you know, mm-hmm. to feel like strong, a strong masculine role, uh, associated with being in the military. Um, but I was talking, I had a couple podcasts ago. I had, um, a, a wonderful, wonderful woman. Her name was Sheree on, and she talked about, she, she has coaching clients. So she coaches like women on, on, on vision, exactly like you're talking about, on vision, mm-hmm. on clarity, on on purpose. You know, and she was talking to this one lady where she was, she Cherie told me she was like, I was lost. <laughs> like, I don't know how I can help her because she's Cherie's specialty was getting perfect clarity on on your purpose and vision. Mm-hmm. This person that she was helping, she was saying, she was like, you know, what is it that you want? Cherie was asking her, like, what is it that you wanted? Like, what are you passionate about? And she was like, huh, you know, like nothing really, you know, mm-hmm. I just kind of want something more, you know, than life. She's like, oh, okay. She's like, well, what, like, what do you do? She was asking like the same question, the powerful questions. Like, what do you do that you get lost in time? Like, that's such mm-hmm. a powerful question and such a good litmus test for what is it that you truly love? Um, and she was like, ah, you know, like, I don't know. I watch a lot of Netflix, you know, and it's just like, I like shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Sharice said, she was like, I'm not the one, I'm not the one to help you. Like if you have nothing, if you're so comfortable and you don't, mm-hmm. you obviously don't have that sense of, uh, she has enough uneasiness to pursue coaching, which is mm-hmm. a huge positive sign, but she was so lost in the world of, I think like we were talking about in that world of, uh, that's secured up by like the American dream where you have the walls built up and within those walls, you start to accrue a bunch of different comfort things. Like I've got my Netflix account and I've got food coming in. I've got my ice cream and I've, you know, whatever, like I've got these, I've got my friends that we drink wine and we talk about this show about, you know, and we laugh and we have fun and you get so lost in there that you don't know who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. Like what drives you that's mm-hmm. such a difficult difficult thing and i think one of the things that one practice i'm curious about your your thoughts on this one practice that is the the single most simple and the single most difficult practice that you can do that's going to answer this question is silence 
Mm-hmm. Spend mm-hmm. time with yourself with zero distractions, with nothing around you. No, exactly like you said, eliminating external input. Like mm-hmm. that was so huge when you mentioned that when you're talking about becoming more self-aware and having that as a tool, you have to eliminate those, but you have to eliminate even the fun ones, not even the ones that are trying to, Mm -hmm. to influence your future. I mean, really all of them are Mm -hmm. like, as we've learned with what social media does, right. They are geared towards changing your future, changing your future into scroll, 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 watch, 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 Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so you have to, you have to take control of that. And it's, it, is damn scary it is so scary to sit with yourself and it is even for me sometimes i was doing this last night so i'm blessed enough that my wife had us has a a three-person indoor sauna that she had bought from a previous homeowner that we brought with us or wherever we went and so i I get the sauna at home which is amazing um but last night i was in the sauna I it's it's an infrared, so the temperature is really low. So I stay in there for a very long time. I'm in there for like an hour, but it only oh. gets to like 140, you know. So mm. it's not you're not cranking super high heats. But what I like to do is I like to do breath work in there. But and I'll start it out. I'll give myself I play it easy. So like the first 30 minutes, I'll like I'll have like a uh, a book that I'm listening to, or something like that. And so I have input, and I'm like get to think and like do business focused stuff or like self development stuff. And then the last 30 minutes, I do breath work and no input. I turn off all the lights. Yep. I'm in completely like, you know, removing as many sensory inputs as possible. Mm-hmm. And even last, it's the first time I've done this in a while. Last night I was doing it and I, I w- was kept getting so uncomfortable in the silence, like to the point where like, I just need, I would move my body. Just to get, just to like, oh, I'm going to move this way. Oh, I'm uncomfortable here. And this is the conversation I'm allowing to happen in my head, you know? And it's just like, we have to, you, if you want to proceed forward, you got, you have to get to know yourself. If you don't know, if you can't answer, if you can't like embrace that first step that you talked about, the perception pillar, Mm -hmm. you've, you got to do something. And to me, like it might be a, a bridge too far for people, but I think that silence is my, well, how, how, what other techniques are like, what have you found to be powerful in, in like kicking this off? If you want to get somebody on this path, you got to get them in step one. What yeah. have you found that be effective in that first pillar? And uh, you're, you're right. Um, meditation is very useful. Just being quiet with yourself is, is very is very helpful to to clear well you get all these different thoughts that are just racing at you but the more you do it you're you'll be able to clear your thoughts and just pay attention to your thoughts and that way it it feels like there's you know it's a tangled web and by the time you're in in it 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 just straightens it out right and meditation is really good um and I think for a lot of a lot of people, especially if they're at the beginning of their journey, this staying, like you said, even for five minutes gets very uncomfortable. The the one thing that I would recommend to anybody is journaling. And I have to admit that I don't do it as often because my drug of choice is meditation. But journaling is 
when you're asking your subconscious a question, it cannot resist not answering. So if I were to ask you, what is your favorite food? You all of a sudden, you you have to think your brain just goes into automatic answer mode. So if you're sitting there with a journal and you ask yourself, what would I like for myself to do? What would be something that would make me feel energized? Right. And I actually heard and I remembered today on a podcast doing that uh, obituary exercise, finding yourself imagining yourself uh, at your uh, at your funeral and what would people tell uh, the stories about you that's also a very powerful one that that works wonders because again it it functions both ways right you're writing down so you're asking your brain just like journaling and then you're also thinking from other people's perspective of how they see you and how you want to be seen that's very good and the last one that I find helpful and I do it every every week is I, I go in nature. I go in nature, no music, no distraction, no nothing. Just being in nature is very helpful for your brain because what happens is you see this immensity of whatever it is and you realize how tiny you are in this world. And that kind of puts things in perspective and you're like, well, you you always think that you're the most important person in this world. But when you're in nature and you sit there and you look in awe at trees that have been there for hundreds of years or rocks that have been millions of years, you all of a sudden realize, hmm, my life is kind of limited on this planet. So why don't I figure out something that I would like to do that I would enjoy doing? Now, those, those were just a, a slew of things that I, I know I've, I've incorporated in my, in my life. Uh, I actually sat down and asked myself, what, what would I want my, my future to be in 10, 20, 30 years? I think, I think having that um, focus, I, having a guided question like that and having a practice like the like the funeral like the obituary exercise Mm -hmm. i think is huge especially when you go out even if you don't have if you're not um at some point like specifically stating that question but you have the spirit the energy of it where that question is kind of just reverberating in the back of your brain Mm -hmm. um when you go out and do things like that like i i would parse my my silent time ever so slightly from a meditation practice because mm-hmm. I don't I I think meditation is super powerful and super important. Obviously, I think that being silent is is helpful and that's a form of meditation. I think that for this having not not trying to clear your mind. I think that's where a lot of people get kind of turned off with meditation. Maybe a lot of people have probably tried it. And they mm-hmm. sit down for a minute and they're like, oh my gosh, I just can't. I like, I'm losing at meditation because I keep having thoughts. Like one, that's not how meditation works. Right. Meditation is not say, don't think it's like the thought comes up and you let it go. Mm-hmm. The thought comes up and you're like, oh, that's it's the, the most powerful tool that I found for myself when it comes to meditation is like, oh, that's interesting. And so mm-hmm. what I'll do is I, I have that comment that I use in my head for my own thought. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting that that thought that I'm mm-hmm. having that thought right now. That's really and, good. But then I don't ask a question like, I wonder why. Nope. Don't get to ask that question. <laughs> so right, I just right. say, 
I just say, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then, and then I let it go and I bring my, my focus and attention back to my breath. And so for this perception exercise, I, I would say, don't meditate with breath focus and don't meditate with a, with a, um, the goal of clearing your brain, have Mm -hmm. it with a goal of answering one question and don't even have, I would say veer away from the word answer. I'd say like ponder, Mm -hmm. ponder what you want your life to look like. What is it that you want people to think about you when your life is done? When you are writing down your list of accomplishments what is it that you want to have accomplished? What is it that matters to you? Yeah. You know, how what kind of change do you want to be a part of in the world? And just ponder those thoughts. And then your brain, just like in meditation, is going to wander. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. and then you just bring it back to that central focus. Make the central focus that thought and just bring it back like ponder, like, oh, what would my life look like? I'm old and gray and bald in a casket, mm-hmm. you know, and people are standing up to talk and they're in tears thinking about my memory because I did this, because I made mm-hmm. them feel, maybe it's, I made them feel really important. Like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting mm-hmm. that that matters to me, that me making somebody else feel important. I wonder what that would look like in action. You know, and then you get to play with that and work it up, work it yes. down. That's that's well well explained. Yes. And exactly. with nature, I I love the stars. Like mm-hmm. it matters so much to me. And for that same exact thing, for the immensity mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. it and realizing how small of a speck you are. When you think like I just had this, we were watching for asteroids the other night, and because there was a meteor shower, it was a couple weeks ago. There was a meteor shower, and we saw three meteors. Like oh, with this cool. guy, super cool. And I had this, I had this thought when I was out there when we were waiting for them to show up. We were out there for like half an hour before we saw one. And I like I put my perception as that of a star. Like mm-hmm. being in the cold abyss of nothingness, mm-hmm. burning white hot, emanating light from light years away. You know, and just but like this desolate aloneness and this vastness of space, not in any sort of negative way, just in like a pure factual, this is where it's at and realizing like where that is. And I got so overwhelmed with like, holy shit, like Mm -hmm. this, whoa, like that's everything's so big, like that's happening right right now. I'm not even making it up like that. Mm -hmm. There's a gas ball burning on fire out there right now yeah that's and it's just like my perspective just on like my existence was like oh my gosh (laughs) yeah and and for for this same principle i think it has a lot of validity for people who are struggling with any kind of issues when there's some struggle and there's some in some situation, I do this too, where, you know, we're so into the problem that we can't see past it. But if we were to take a a step back and look at it, like, is this really a big deal? One year, two year, five years from now, that, that grand point of view, you know, is this really a big deal in this immensity of the universe that we're at? 
And when you're you're taking that step back, it really helps you kind of put things in perspective, even That's when you're having huge. issues, right? That's so yeah. it's so true when you take the perspective of time. Like mm-hmm. I and it's the way I think a tactical tool with this is to look back. Like I think about I, I when I'm telling stories with friends or whatever and we're referencing back, like, dude, I don't even remember. I remember getting into a fight with this person. I don't even remember what it's about. Right. And then using those kind of, it works really well for me because for a lot of things, my memory's terrible. <laughs> so, so it's you know, a great tool that I can use to, to think about the present. Like, am I going to, like, I'm taking this very seriously right now. Am I even going to remember this in a week? Right. And, and and then you put in, like you said, the perspective of two years from now, what am I going to remember? What mm-hmm. can I do right now? Take that and, and turn it into a positive action. What can I do today that I'm going to have? Oh, my gosh, dude, I remember on December 5th when I was sitting there and and I just decided I don't know where to get up and go for a walk. I was listening to this podcast and I was like, I'm just going to get up and go for a walk like mm-hmm. and I'm going to go into nature. And I remember like. I stopped. I had a, I had meetings scheduled and I didn't even do it. You know, like I just, I canceled everything and I just went out to go for a nature walk. Like what can you do right now that would benefit you that, that would, you would recall with the greatest like vivid memory in five years from now. Mm-hmm. And how does that play into the, to the planning and, and all of that, man, I don't want to go. We, I know we are scheduled to stop now. Do you, how much do you have any, time yeah let's let's continue yeah it's fine okay okay Um, yeah we haven't got to the planning yet yeah exactly exactly i didn't know if you wanted to go through all of them it's 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 fine uh at any rate but by all means let's let's go let's dive into planning so we've 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 done the first step right we've we've looked at the first pillar we've really broken down perception and self-awareness mm-hmm. and the tools you gave amazing practical tools of and practices that you can do right now to become aware of what it is that drives you and what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So now we have this idea. We have our passion. How do we not let this wither and die on the vine with all the other passions that have come and gone that we never followed through with? Right. And, and that and that's a good setup. It's a good setup because yes, you do need a plan, right? And I think you said it too, right? You're you're here, and then you want to get here. And between these two points, there's a huge gap. And in this gap, there has to be a plan. Otherwise, you know, it's it's just a dream. And it makes me always think about New Year resolutions. You know, everybody wants to lose weight this next year, but then what are you doing right like by the first month is this much weight by the second month is this much weight right you have to plan it out and the way i was able to even plan my uh, desire to become a professional speaker is i want to speak on 10,000 in front of 10,000 people that's an audacious goal okay so how can i cut that in half well i might be speaking in I don't know, in 10 years, I would speak in front of 10,000. In five years, I would speak in front of 1,000, let's say, right? 
that means that in a year would be how many, right? And you parse this big audacious goal into more measurable things, right? And I, I like to say that you can take it, you take it from the macro level and you cut you cut it down, and then you go from the micro level. What are the things that you can do tomorrow, next week, next month? to make sure that you achieve those milestones that you set from the macro level. And I can tell you a simple example, and I'm horrible at social media, getting better at it, but I set a goal for myself when I started to be like, I want to have in the next three months, 10,000 followers, right? And then I said, well, then that means that uh, I need to cut it in half, it's gonna be 5,000 followers, okay. And that means that in a week I would be, having 300 followers or whatever the math comes mm -hmm. out to be. And then as I worked my way through the micro planning, I realized that's not going to work. I'm never, I'm never, people are, they're not that excited to hear me talk yet. However, so that's where the, the, the strategy is the, you know, the logical things come into play where you have a macro, you have a micro and you do a bottom, a top down and a bottom up approach. And then you marry the mic macro and the micro. And if they match up, then you're good. And then you, you, uh, you solidify your plan and you, uh, you, you don't look at the big mountain, you know, when you, when you look at the, the scary audacious goal, that's, that's a little bit frightening our, our amygdala the flight or flight is just like no no no, i can't do that but you know you, how do you eat an elephant right you look you look at the first uh first few meals in the day that's how you eat it so set the plan and then go at the micro what can you do and the the other thing is you know a lot of people get discouraged right because they said they set a goal to lose how, however many many pounds and then they don't achieve it this is this plan is not set in stone you execute you learn from it you assess you rewrite and restart you constantly update it as you go because it's 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 never going to be perfect and that those are those are the steps that I'm I'm applying them in in my own life, right? This year I wanted to achieve so much. I've achieved a lot, but not as much as I thought I was going to do. But I'm a, a, a reassessing and adjusting and uh, recalibrating and restarting. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important is to find ways to measure what it is that you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're creating the sub goals. Right, you have your big end state that you want to live in, mm -hmm. and then you create right those benchmarks to achieve along the way. All yeah. of them are specific, right? It's part of the smart goals being specific. The next mm -hmm. one is measurable, and so you want to make sure that you're like, okay, well, if I wanted three thousand subscribers by the end of this year, you know, then like you said, you break it down quarterly, you break it down monthly. Um, and you can look at, okay, well, at what point in the planning did I insert the conscious time, which actually might be your next step in the progress, um, is to do in-progress reviews. So mm -hmm. I think, like like you were saying, even perspective, you know, the fourth pillar, it kind of gets intertwined in. It feels like all of these, like, we we're linear thinkers we want to think in a straight line a path ahead i do this step then this step then this step mm -hmm. now the first Clarity. two 
you got to understand what it is that you want and you got to make a plan, right? Once those are done, then everything kind of works together. Then even the perception is still working. It's not like Mm -hmm. you're done thinking, just like you said. I think also the last thing I'll say before I let you uh, proceed is that I think we sometimes get mixed up between the measurement and the goal. And Mm -hmm. I think that this is most clearly done around New Year's, around uh, physical wellness. Is that Mm -hmm. very rarely do you hear someone say, I want to increase my physical wellness. One, that's not as too general of a goal. You need to be more specific. And so when people think about being specific in physical fitness, physical wellness, whatever you want to call it, they go to weight. They go to this one measurement (laughs) and they call that a goal. That's not a goal. That is one measurement of many to look at your, the whole picture of your physical fitness. Like, do you want, maybe you want to be capable of doing something. Maybe it's <laughs> uh, my goal is to run a marathon. My goal is to do a tough mutter, you know, whatever that is. And then like, man, it sure would be easier if I did that, if I was 30 pounds lighter, you know, like, so that's something that I'm doing that helps me get to that goal. But there's, I think that's why two things. I think well, that is one of the reasons why we fail to get to the goal because the goal mm-hmm. isn't structured right. We're looking at a measurement instead of a, a purpose. And mm-hmm. then we have this tendency to like, and that's why it's hard for people to maintain that weight loss because once they hit that goal, the goal's hit. It's mm-hmm. done. Like I've done it. Like there's, what am I going to do? Lose 20 more pounds? Then I'm going to be underweight. You know, like I wasn't, you know, whatever it is, like you can't exceed that. And so one of the the analogies that I've always liked to use with this is when you're thinking about your goals and you're thinking about like that purpose and, and, and getting to the mountaintop, stop thinking of the mountaintop. Think of the mountain range. Like I have this goal at the top of this mountain, but when I'm up there, I'm looking across at like, look at that mountaintop. That's what I want next. Look at that one. I want to do that too at the same time. Maybe I want to learn guitar and run a marathon. And so you have these things. And and one of the best tips that I heard when it comes to this is that you should never be in between goals. This is where the mountain analogy goes out the window. Like you should never be descending down a mountain Mm -hmm. ever ever it should be i've hit a spot if i'm trying Mm -hmm. to make this analogy work i've hit a spot in the mountain where like this is where i want to go for this goal but like before i the mountain's just not gonna work (laughs) before you you should already be so let's say you're writing a book let's get real tangible if you're writing a book and you're getting close, like you're, you're trying to figure out how to wrap this story up in a nice, neat bow at the end. Or maybe the last thing you're doing is the, the first chapter, however mm-hmm. you want to do it. You're working on that very last piece. When you're starting to work on that last piece, you should start writing your next book. Like you should start working on the outline for the mm-hmm. next one. There shouldn't be a gap in between because that gap opens up your, all of the, the, the fears, all of the concerns, like it's like, it's like this wide opening where you're not pursuing something. And so you're vulnerable. 
Like, yeah. Don't let don't let yourself become vulnerable. Protect yourself. Insulate yourself from that by by stacking it, stacking your goals with the next mm-hmm. thing that you're going to do, and never stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good segue to the idea of progress because one thing I you were saying and it made me think. Nelson Mandela, I believe he said that one when we get to the top of the hill, the one thing we, we notice is that there's another hill. And that's true. And you you know, we, we you might have a goal for today, uh, for the next whatever it is, but we as human creatures, we just love growth. We we yearn progress. And the next this whatever season you're in your life and you're set sunsetting it and you're looking for the next one there's always going to be a next one because if you look at it 10 years increments right what whatever you were excited about at 20 i'm pretty sure you're not ex- you weren't excited about it at 30 and say for 40s and 50s there's different seasons so there's always going to be the next mountain that you want to conquer and I agree with you on that idea that if you're not continuously progressing, you end up regressing. It's you, you, you gotta, you gotta keep going. And uh, the one, the one thing that you've, you've said well, and I, I, I want to double down on it is the notion of, of measuring, because if you're, if you're not measuring what you're doing, then you, you don't know. Right. I, I, I'm thinking about going to the gym and I know that I have an app and I put in all my reps. And whenever I open up the app and I see this is how much I've uh, I've uh, done last uh, time, this much weight, this much, this many reps. I know that if I put an extra pound there, I'll get that feel good feeling that I am progressing, that I am making strikes. And I'm measuring things. And the more you measure, the more you get excited about your goal, the more you realize that, oh, I'm actually making progress. And you get that drive and that desire to continue going. But, you know, if you're kind of saying, well, I want to lose some weight. And then you're like, well, I don't know how much, but this year, this this week, I'll just eat some, uh, some French fries because uh, I feel like I'm losing some weight, but I don't know for sure. Got to measure measure what matters so it's the the progress is necessary right because the where you are and where you want to be there's a gap and that gap is a continuous progress there's there's growth there and when you're making progress you're definitely enjoying that reward of knowing that you are growing and I, I i'm with you if if you stop growing the default is to pull back into your comfort zone and just find the busy work to just keep you in that that numb state. We're so, in a yeah. we're in it. We're we're constantly fighting in the attention war. That is the war of our time mm-hmm. with everything demanding our attention from streaming services to internet to social media. Mm-hmm. Everything is understanding the value of your attention. And so if everybody thinks that your attention is really valuable, mm-hmm. you should think the same thing about your own inten- your own attention and put intention behind mm-hmm. your attention. 
Like you, and that's, that's, that's this, that's your process. It's all intentionality. Mm -hmm. It's all not letting life happen to you. It's Mm -hmm. you happening to your life. Like you are the thing. Like life is now in the passenger seat and you took the wheel back. That's Mm -hmm. what this process does. This is incredible. This is really, really, really good stuff. So continue. Let's let's hit it. Give us numero quattro, baby. <laughs> let's go to well, and this is, you know, this is this is the bread and button, right? The the mindset is necessary to be able to go from here to there, to achieve from where you want where you are, where you want to be. Because that that was my main struggle. And this is goes back to when I finally decided to uh, change, to do something different, to follow my dream, not the American dream. And this is where the book Mindset was so instrumental because up until that point, the only thing that I thought that I could do is what others laid out for me to do. It was that that's how much my mind comprehended at that point. And I read the book Mindset, and it tells me that on a long enough timeline with enough effort, dedication, and drive, I can do anything. And that, it, you know, we have this growth mindset in so many areas of our lives, but in others, we have fixed mindset. It is just so baffling to me. And for me, in certain skills, I didn't think I, I had them. And that was, it was, it was the, the, pivotal moment that got me on the journey just that mindset shift and so how do you how do you do that how do you shift your mindset like we're taking the intentionality right and we're Mm -hmm. we're becoming self-aware and we're eliminating those external inputs and and we're getting clear on on that but i guess my question is how do we build the mindset that is resilient to obstacles mm-hmm. when they're coming up in this path. Like in the beginning, we're going to start off great. This is what happens to me. Like when I start a, a new workout regimen, we're like, I'm going to try something different with working out. I'm going to do this, this, and this mm-hmm. for the first week. Incredible. Second mm-hmm. week, even better. And third mm-hmm. week I'm starting to see results and I'm like, Holy smokes. This is awesome. Nothing in the world would stop me from doing this because I feel great. I'm starting to look great. I like, why would I ever stop doing this? Mm -hmm. And then life happens. Something happens where my schedule gets interrupted. I miss a day of working out. And that missing that one day opens up the possibility in my head that you can miss a day. And then from going three weeks without mm-hmm. missing a day within the next three weeks, I will have missed like an entire week aggregated. Mm-hmm. And then that mm-hmm. keeps building. That's like, it's like compounding negative interest mm-hmm. against myself once that door is open. And so how do you build a, a resilient mindset that, that accounts for you're going to mess up mm-hmm. things aren't it's this growth and development and self-development isn't this. It's not that. That's not the that's not the trajectory. It's uh, you know, like it's it's all over the place. It's up, it's down, it's sideways, it's it's sitting still sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what 
what kind of tools, what kind of practices, what, what, how do you maintain this over time? Cause our goals, like we talked about, there's a gap. We're here goals here. We got a bunch of stuff to do. And so how do we keep that motivation up? How do we, how do we adopt that mindset? Yeah. There's the, the, the second and third steps. The, the two pillars are very important because when you have a P in place, you have a plan and you know that you're making progress and then you're reassessing, that's always helpful because what the plan does also is a, I don't know if you've experienced this, where it's Monday and you're going to the gym and you're like, ah, waking up. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, do I do legs today i don't want to do legs i don't know uh, maybe i'll no i'm, I'm just going to stay home when you have a plan in place you're that cognitive load that mental fatigue is no longer there so you're already you're already on your way and with the progress like you said you get that that feel good uh emotion like oh yes i've done it but then you also have to realize that you are the the that's where a growth mindset comes into play you're it's not a linear thing you're you're gonna fail and it's it's inevitable and life happens i agree there's there's so many things but what we must not do is fall into this trap that you were saying that all of a sudden you're skipping one day and you're then you're two and three and four and that's where the the plan comes into play and what i do is every week I have to reassess my plan. Like on a Sunday for me, it's reflection time. I I look at it. I'm like, okay, this week it didn't go according to plan. Let me readjust and I'll start again. But you have to be consistent because otherwise you're if you're not making progress, you're going to regress. And having that mindset that failure is is going to happen and it's, in, it's inevitable. But in, when you, those time comes, you just have to reassess. That's beautiful. I think um, I read, I was reading a book. They were talking, it might've been a Malcolm Gladwell book. Um, oh no, it wasn't. It was uh, Angela Duckworth. Uh, she Grit. wrote a book called Grit. Did you yep. just say Grit? You know it. <laughs> ah, it's such a good book. She talked about Michael Phelps. Um, mm -hmm. And she talks about how he mentally trained for adversity in the pool and you think what adversity in the pool he's swimming mm -hmm. all the time like the adversity is the muscular endurance and, and required to sustain energy for the whole thing mm -hmm. and it's like the turns right having the proper form on turns but what else is it one of the things that they said which was so powerful was uh he planned for um what not not if but when he would do a flip and his goggle, one goggle mm -hmm. would flip and then water would dump into his eye and he'd have to swim blind. He's like, and just the simple, it's that I don't, I don't think that he ever trained physically this way. I don't think he ever trained swimming without goggles or with water in his eyes or one flip. Like he never, I don't think he actually executed training that way. I think he had to do that in a competition yeah, but he won the, a medal. Right. He won a medal. Yeah. And the difference was, all the difference was, is that he thought about it. Is that mm. he thought about, when I flip, 
my goggles might flip over. And if mm. they flip over, this is how I'm going to handle it. And so he addressed the elephant in the room. Like the thing that we're all kind of really scared of doing, like when we get on our, we create a plan mm-hmm. and we, and we're checking progress and like things are going well, mm-hmm. we're moving and we're moving and we're moving and we focus on, on the progress and we're like, Oh, look at this. We're doing great. And then instead of doing in progress reviews, genuine ones, we're looking at the wins. Like, Oh, look, I did uh, five social media posts this week. You know, I did, um, I, I, I did 25 cold calls. I did whatever, you know, it is for you. I, I painted for 17 hours, you know, but you're not looking at, Oh, I ate, um, I ate two pieces of cheesecake on mm-hmm. Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of leaving out the negative and mm-hmm. then, and, and you're allowing that door to be open, but you're also not, you're, you're doing that because you're scared of it. You're scared of addressing it. And it's because you're, you're scared of addressing it because you didn't address it beforehand. You didn't say when Tuesday comes around and my husband brings home that cheesecake or my wife brings home whatever that carrot cake. And when they bring it home, this is what I'm going to do. Like it's mm-hmm. exactly like you said. So it's planning. It's in that planning phase, but it's planning for that adversity. It's not mm-hmm. just saying I'm going to accomplish this. It's saying that when I don't, or when this thing comes up to block me, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. whatever the case that's is. That's really good. So that's I think really that's, yeah. Holy smokes, man, dude, I could, we could, we could do this for hours. I know. Hours. We barely scratched the surface of uh, the power of my uh, growth mindset. We did. We did, but we, I think that we really built a strong foundation to, to build upon it and, and somewhere for people to start. And so what I, where can people, if people wanted to learn more about these, if they wanted to, to like, can they, do you have an ability for people to like work with you or do you have any sort of like events that are coming up or is there, how can people follow you be engaged with you and learn more about these pillars um mm-hmm. do they need to buy a ticket for your next talk or <laughs> <laughs> they well they can easily go to my website is road number two h and f hf actually no n road to hf which stands for road to happiness and fulfillment is you know my, i always consider that we're never going to finish you know it takes a lifetime to learn how to live and i think uh, we're all on this journey so that's why i figured like i it it makes sense for my website to be called the road to happiness and fulfillment Uh, they can follow me on social media and if anybody wants the four pillars that we talked about i do have a pdf on my website it's going to be a pop-up that uh, they put in their information and uh, they're going to get the the bulk of what we talked about with uh, actions and the uh, description of the four pillars road to h and hf.com perfect perfect and i'll i'll send it to you too so you can put it on your, on your link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely actually so here i'm going to try this out this is the first time that i'm ever going to do this check this out if you want the four pillars to happiness and fulfillment Click here. Oh. Now I have to follow Good. through and make sure I actually do it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
<laughs> awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Holy smokes. This was so good. I hope that we can do it again and we can really dive in a bit further. Right. And I can't, and I just, I'm so excited for your road, for your mm -hmm. path and your journey. Like I, I want to, once you have that room, this is, this is the, the ask that I'll make of you. Once you make that talk where you have a thousand people in the room, let's, let's hop back on. Let's do this again. That's awesome. And yeah. then that way we can show, we can share with people your journey, how you implemented these four pillars in your life to create that and how you're going to take that same model and flip it to get from one to 10. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. This That's awesome. is great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. It, it was awesome conversation. You know, I, I think I told you last time, right? There's energy drainers and energy providers. And I feel energized after this discussions. Me too. Me too. So good. Yeah. I can't be more grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Same here. Uh, 